Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hello, I'm Jeff Bast from Bast Amron. I'm Brett Amron from Bast Amron, and this is The Practice Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about an issue that we as lawyers have all dealt with at least one probably more times in our career than we'd like. And that is dealing with an aggressive or difficult opposing counsel or party. Yeah, we've all handled a case or a deal or transaction where we have a lawyer on the other side or a group of lawyers on the other side, and they're just not being reasonable. And they're being difficult for the sake of being difficult. Maybe they're not agreeing to extensions of time, or you're asking for documents that you would plainly be entitled to, and they refuse to give them for no good reason. And so how do you deal with that? How do you diffuse that type of situation rather than making it worse? So you have some thoughts on that, Brett? (laughs) (laughs) Lots of thoughts. I mean, look, I I think that at any point in our career, we've all been accused of being over aggressive. I know I have. I'm sure that's not going to come as a shock to anybody who's watching this. But as long as it's being aggressive with intention, but not being unprofessional and totally unreasonable, right? And one of the big things that we always talk about is our job is not to make the lives of our fellow lawyers, whether they be on the other side or not, difficult. That's not our job, right? Our job is to represent our clients and to advocate for our clients and whatever's in the best interest of our clients. And sometimes we have to be a bit aggressive. And sometimes we have, you know, we zealously represent them. And sometimes it makes sense not to be, right? And the classic example of that, and I know you have examples of it, and I do too, is when you ask for an extension of time or a continuance of a hearing and you get back in a simple two-letter response. No. What do you do? Right. When timing is not the issue. You know, sometimes right. You need to get to court. You have a hearing. It's an emergency. You're trying to get some relief. And so time is not. And right. And so ultimately, I think the first thing is not to perpetuate the hostility. You know, like don't make it worse by somebody being unreasonable and then you're being unreasonable in response. So to me, it's you make the ask. If they say no, I would ask, I first ask why, you know, why? any particular reason for right. asking. To me, if you have to take that difficult position, the best way to back it up is to say, why, listen, hey, my client's really, you know, not willing to give your client any, you know, room at all here. Right. And there's times when you as a lawyer, and we've talked about this, have an obligation to go to your client and say, look, continuances, extensions like this are routinely granted. You know, unless you give me a very good reason, I'm going to give him this one, give him or her this one. But I agree with you. Give, give a reason. Don't just say no. Give a reason. And right. if you don't get a reason, ask. And maybe that's where the discussion and the dialogue can come. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I always want to try to understand. And, and it's not just understanding the reason for that particular issue. It's like the reason. It's also the reason for the unreasonableness. If they're being hostile in the case and they, you know everything is a challenge, I, I want to try to understand why, what's driving that so I can you know try to navigate it. Sometimes it's you know, it might be a junior associate who's having to answer to a difficult partner or a difficult client. Right. Uh, and uh, to your point, I do think there is some client management that's, you know, that is the responsibility of the lawyers because clients don't understand that granting extensions are routine and treating 
just because I'm treating the opposing counsel civilly, that doesn't mean I'm not zealously advocating their case. So that's on us to manage our clients. And if the client says, no, I won't give them a four-day extension of time, it's your responsibility to say, no, I'm sorry, we are going to give them the extension of time. They're going to get it anyways, and it will behoove us all. Because we're going to need it at some point. Absolutely. And right. And you just hit the nail on the head, which is, What's good for the goose, right, is good for the gander, right? Right. You're going to need it at some point. You're going to need that continuance, that extension. And so if it's the fifth one and you think they're doing nothing but perpetuating, you know, and not this long, drawn-out process and they don't want to respond and they're just doing it to play a game, that's different, right? It's the first one or even the second one or there's a real reason behind their ask or there's a real reason behind your ask. Provide it and see right. if there's a way that the parties can come to an agreement on that issue. And what I so you thought, have to balance. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, no, you got to ba- say you have to balance that with not yeah. trying to convince someone that they're wrong. You know, when you're trying to convince someone that they're wrong, now you're right. making it a little more personal, and they're going right. to get defensive, and there's a good chance you're going to make it worse. And that's where I found, you know, my I like to say I'd rather go around the wall than bang my head into it, right? And so just, just getting, whether it be by email or the preferred method, if there's an issue by phone, and even today now with Zoom, when you're looking somebody in the eye, it's much easier to have a professional conversation, right? And not just, you know, email, it's very easy in email to just type and not care, right? It comes across very cold. It's very easy to just send whatever you want. In an email, it's much harder for people to be that difficult either on the phone or by Zoom or even in person, right? When we, when we eventually get back to that. But go around the wall, try and figure out, you know, what the real issue is. And this is where, you know, we've talked about this empathy, right? Where the empathy comes in. Understand why, you know, your opposing counsel may be so difficult, right? Maybe it's the client pressure that they're having. Maybe it's, you know, maybe they're a fish out of water. Maybe they don't have the experience or the bandwidth to handle the issue that, you know, they aren't currently handling. And so some level of cooperation may help where you can provide it. Sometimes that's, if you're understanding that, maybe there's a way that you can figure out, you know, some level of cooperation and some civility, you know, and bringing civility back to civil litigate, you know, litigation. Right. A good example of that is if you're dealing with somebody, you're trying to get documents from them and, and they're just refusing, they're moving for protective orders. And rather than just understanding why it is they're concerned about it, if you're just going to fight and fight and fight, you're not going to get to a solution. But if you say, well, you know what, if you're concerned about confidentiality, perhaps I can address that concern with a confidentiality agreement or some right. other you know, restriction, or we can set up a process where somebody mm-hmm. else reviews, whatever it is, you get creative. There's a lot of ways to be creative. And rather than attacking the attack, just find a solution. I, I love your, your metaphor about going around the wall and rather than trying to bang your head against it. Right. Another thing, and you mentioned a lot of great points, is the idea of communicating verbally yeah. <laughs> either by phone or on Zoom rather than by email. The yeah. email is just so often subject to misinterpretation. You can't read tone. You, can't, you certainly can't read sarcasm or humor in an email. It's very difficult. And so often uh, we've seen fights occur just because somebody misinterpreted some words in an email. And so if there's any risk of that, it's just so much easier to pick up the phone. And now even better with, like you said, Zoom, face-to-face 
you know, you and I are going to have a conversation. We can read each other. That's such an important part of communication. And actually, it's one of the reasons I like emojis, even though I'm not a big user of emojis. I'm always impressed by people's, uh, my wife is amazing at it. Yeah. But emojis at least add some tone. You know, you let someone know you're joking or you're making, you know, you're giving a little bit of that human context, but the phone and Zoom are always better. Yeah. So, always. right. My rule on, on emails is never put anything in writing you wouldn't want on the front page of the paper. I would augment that by saying never put anything in writing you wouldn't otherwise say to somebody's face, whether again, it's on the phone or in person or over right. Zoom now. But yeah, people definitely can be a bit more aggressive and a bit more willing to say things in an email that they may not otherwise be yeah. on or in person. And, you know, I think face-to-face certainly is, does a lot, on the phone does a lot. <laughs> and this is a pet peeve of mine that has come up post-COVID, is if you're going to dial in, if there's a Zoom and you're dialing in and you have video capability and you turn your video, you're going to laugh because we talked about this, and you turn your video off, but you're watching other people. It, and by the way, I'm not talking about a 50, 100 person call, you know, where it's mostly a webinar, you're just observing. I'm talking about where there's like four or five people on a call. So you're actively involved in a conversation and you don't put your video on, you know, and that's a pet peeve of mine. If you're not going to put it on for a specific reason, right? Like, listen, today... Maybe you dialed in from a phone. Well, dialed in from a phone is different. That's different. Then you're not going to have the video capability. But if you have it, either iPad or or even on your phone or on your computer, and you don't put it on, at least say, hey, listen, I rolled out. I'm just not appropriately dressed for this. Or, you know, my house is about whatever it is. Like, just, you know. It's almost like eavesdropping on the conversation, like being on one side of a you know a two-way mirror. You can see everybody else, but they can't see you. Yeah, it's, uh, it I seems just, deceptive. It's know, just almost. deceptive in bad form, right. I think. Yeah. You know, and that's my own pet peeve. But but look, I, yeah. in terms of you know, I think it always goes down to remembering what our job is, right? And what our job is is to get the best result we can for our client at the end of the right. day and represent our client and not make opposing counsel's lives difficult. And I think one of the things that we have talked about is, you know, moving to the next step is all of the, as I as a young lawyer was guilty of it, and I know other lawyers, I still see it today and you see it, a lot of hyperbole in what's filed with the court, right? Describing right. opposing counsels or clients' positions and using all these adjectives and big words and using, you know... Judges don't want to, they just don't want to deal with it. There's so much going on and you're going to lose sight or the judge is not going to sort of recognize what your argument is, right? Yeah. Because you're just adding all of this hyperbole and vitriol in. And so I, I have really started to, and have for the most part, taken a lot of that stuff out because it takes yeah. away from your argument, your position. You know? Right. Yeah. If you're if you're right, you don't need that. To me, it undermines your argument when and your position is all criticizing the other side's position, or criti- yeah. or worse, criticizing the other side. You're basically saying to the judge, "I got nothing. This is all I got." You know. Yeah. And if your arguments are compelling, then you present them in a compelling manner. You should not need to attack the other side. And I agree. I think judges don't appreciate it. I think it detracts from the argument. A good compelling argument doesn't have anything to do with the other side or, you know, the other side's lawyers, certainly not the other side's lawyers. And look, there's an art to it, right? I mean, certainly there's going to be times when the opposing side is doing things that you need to bring to the court's attention because you've already exhausted all of your efforts outside of court before bringing to the court's attention to try to get them to stop doing things. And so you have to describe their actions, but why you have to add in all the vitriol and hyperbole 
if their actions are that bad, they're going to speak that way to the court. Right. Yeah. Attach the emails. You don't have to characterize them. No. And, and, Attach and, them and let the judge make a decision. Right. And put that's, it in your pleading. That's what judges do. Right? right. Put it in your motion or your response or whatever it is and just say, here's what they did. And mm-hmm. if it's that bad that you're bringing to the court's attention and ask for sanctions, then you don't mm-hmm. need to frame it with vitriol and hyperbole, I don't think. Right. You know? Well, that's, and that goes to your point also about the emails. You should expect when you're in a case and you're emailing with your opposing counsel, you should expect to see that email attached to a filing in court. Yeah. And if you're, and so never, ever use swear words or things like that in the email to opposing counsel or really to anyone. I, I think it's bad practice to do it any, you know, at any time, but there's just no reason to be rude or obnoxious in a written communication. There's no reason to be that way in any way, but certainly not a written communication. And one of the things you know, you and I have done over the years is when you're sending an angry email or responding to an angry email, you apply what we've called the 24-hour rule. Write it and don't send it. You know, In fact, my practice is if it's a hostile communication, I delete the, the recipient's email address so as to not mistakenly hit send before I'm ready, right. write the email. And then I, if it's really something that's controversial, I'm going to send it to you. I need a second. I need an outside observer because I'm sometimes it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. And so I want someone else to look at it and give me an evaluation. Am I being unreasonable or is this going to look bad in the eyes of the judge when this email gets attached to something at some point in the future? And I think that's worked really well, but it, it allows for a cooling off period. Even if you don't share it with someone else, you just sleep on it or step back and think about it before you send it. Yeah. I think it can help out a lot. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, taking the time. Sometimes, you know, heat of the moment, you got to respond pretty quickly. Sometimes things are moving so fast in, in today's world. But, you know, there's so much hostility and adversity going on. You know, I, I just don't think that it's better to try to avoid it. And we've talked about it where it really, it does not help your client at the end of the day. Right. Almost never. Right. Almost never helps your client. I've seen this recently and and we've seen it throughout our career as well. Probably been victims to it when you're a younger lawyer. You know, you get these more seasoned lawyers on the other side that feel like, oh, I see a young lawyer on the other side. So I'm just going to browbeat them and I'm going to be super aggressive and I'm going to be difficult with them and they're just going to roll over. And man, that's just not the right way to do it, is it? You know, I I just, it's just not the right way to do it. You know, why do you feel the need to do that? Are you worried about something that you're doing as a lawyer that you feel the need to talk right. down to rather than, than lift up a young lawyer or that you feel like, oh, I'm just going to browbeat this young lawyer because they're inexperienced. And so right. I think advantage. Yeah. But I, I think the worst thing you can do is perpetuate it. You know, yeah. someone being hostile and unreasonable, you can respond in kind or you can just, you know, let it ride, pick your battles. That's, that's the other thing is, yeah. you know, what are we really fighting about? Is it really something that doesn't matter? Pick your battles, pick you know, your especially battles. if you're going to bring it to the court's attention. Yeah. Don't bring the courts to the court's attention every time someone disagrees or acts unreasonably. You know, judges are tired of hearing these kinds of, of disputes. And it's kind of like in sports that not always the first person that throws the punch that gets the flag. You know, sometimes right. it's the last punch. Really, judges are not really interested in how these little things start. You know, they just want to see it resolved. Yeah. And you're very rarely benefiting your client by perpetuating things and you're just making them, you're adding fuel to the fire and making it worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I think you just have to, like you said, remember what the goal is, the goal of the client, you know, and what are you trying to achieve? And sometimes, 
you just, yeah, okay, sure. I'll give you what the extension you're looking for, the continuance, or, you know what, I really don't want to agree to this, but at the end of the day, is it really going to negatively impact my client? No. So sure, I'll give that to you. And if they don't agree to things, you know, you have to decide, I think, as you said, is this an issue I really need to bring to the court's attention? Or at the end of the day, does it really matter? And, And sometimes it doesn't. And we lose sight of that. You know, we lose sight of what the ultimate goal is at the end of the day in whatever we're doing, whether it be a litigation or a transaction or a workout with creditors or whatever, always remember the focus is on what the client's best interests are uh, and what you're trying to do for the client. Yeah. And litigation, I mean, this is more so in litigation than in transactions, but litigation is by definition, you know, adversarial. I mean, it's one plaintiff versus defendant. Another great tip I would make, and I think you and I and all, really all of us at our firm employ this one, is the setting expectations in the beginning of a case. So either if you're the plaintiff and the defendant's just entered an appearance or you're the defendant, you're coming into the case, yep. you reach out to the other lawyer. Always. Have a conversation and say, hey, you know, I'm coming into this case or I'm glad you're in this case. Here's how I handle things. If you need an extension, give me a call. I'm happy to grant it. I hope you'll do the same. When we're exchanging documents, maybe we can talk about it before we just start serving subpoenas and discovery. And so if you need to serve one of my clients, let me know. I'll accept it. Just that having that kind of conversation in the beginning yep. avoid, you know, can avoid all of this. Yeah, always. You know, just right. setting the tone and setting yeah. the expectation. Always. And like you said, always have that connection and communication. Communication is always key. Keeping it open and from beginning to throughout to the end. But yeah, I always make a habit of that. And I recommend to all of the lawyers that, you know, work with us to do that because it just disarms a lot of the hostility when people come in, especially into a litigation, you know, oh, I'm going to defend my client or, you know, whatever the situation is. And it really disarms them, hopefully, and sets it up for there to be professional discourse throughout the matter. And look, the issues are the issues and you're going to present them to the court if you have to. And the court's going to decide the issues. It's when, you know, when games are played and, and there's a lack of civility is when it just raises the temperature unnecessarily, distracts from the issues, causes your clients to have to spend more money. And at the end of the day, it creates more stress for yourself. It just does. Like, why? You know, this is stressful. What we do is very stressful, right? We take all of the problems of our clients on. And so why, why create more stress? Just try to be civil and professional at the end of the day. I think that's going to, that goes a long way. Right. So some takeaways, set expectations, pick your battles, don't perpetuate the problems, try to employ empathy, avoid vitriol and hostility. And when you can, just pick up the phone or communicate face-to-face. I agree with that list. I agree. Let's stomp out hostility and abusive lawyering. There's no reason we need to all be angry at each other. Our clients heard it are here first. Enough. Stomp <laughs> out the hostility. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at... Fast Amron.